Today is the first Sunday in November, as you all know, and each first Sunday in November is designated as the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It is something that's very close to my heart and my wife Donna's heart as we pray for the persecuted church and support the ministries that support them. Um, with everything that has been going on in our lives, I, did, I failed to order literature to hand out to you today. Last year we did that, but we do want to show a short video that is produced by Open Doors Ministry, one of the most prominent persecuted church ministries. Uh, about the world watch map. So, Larry, if you want to run that now, or whoever's up there, Joseph. For over 25 years, Open Doors has been producing the world watch list, which ranks the top 50 countries where it's most difficult to be a Christian. The list is compiled by a group of experts, audited by an outside organization specializing in religious freedom and is the best and most authoritative list of its kind. Through on-the-ground interviews and data analysis, it provides an accurate picture of the difficulties persecuted Christians face around the world. For each country, the list looks at a variety of factors persecuted Christians endure in their public and private lives, such as persecution from the government, the community, and even from their own families. Open Doors estimates that in the top 50 countries alone, 245 million believers face intimidation, prison, and even death. That is one in nine Christians worldwide. But the list is not just numbers and figures. It represents those who have decided to follow Jesus no matter the cost. We believe there is only one body of Christ, and when one part suffers, every part suffers. We hope you feel called to learn more and pray for the millions of believers around the world where persecution is a daily reality. Thank you. 245 million believers around the world. The 2018 statistic was 215 million believers around the world who face intimidation, persecution at various levels. It's a 30 million person increase. We were watching a video the other night um, hosted by uh, J.D. Greer, a well-known pastor in South Carolina who's been involved with Open Doors. And uh, he mentioned that one in 12 believers around the world were persecuted. Now that statistic, as we heard, is one in nine. I would encourage you, if you do not already, to avail yourself of the resources that are available to help you pray for the persecuted church. Open Doors Ministry is one of those. It, was, it ran a little too quickly, but uh, you can go online just Google Open Doors USA or Open Doors International and bring you to their website. They have uh, resources available to help you to pray. Voice of the Martyrs is another prominent ministry that, that supports the persecuted church. Their website is persecution.com. Um, this World Watch list that came out this year 
is available. I have it on my phone right now. You can download it to your phone, your laptop. Um, some of the most, uh, the, or the number one nation listed here is North Korea. The second most persecuted, uh, uh, or nation in which um, most are persecuted is Afghanistan. Third is Somalia. Fourth is Libya. Fifth is Pakistan. If you were here last year, you remember we had the brother who's a, uh, who Ed Mangino invited who shared a little about what's going on there. All around the world, people are suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. We can't begin, I don't think, to comprehend unless we make ourselves aware and then we can just begin to comprehend and do what we can to pray, to support these ministries that support those who are persecuted. So for a few minutes, I would just like to, uh, for us to bow our hearts in prayer before the Lord and lift our brothers and sisters in these nations that are suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we're privileged this morning and we are humbled to be able to join our hearts with millions of others in our own nation and even more around the world who are praying for our brothers and sisters who face daily intimidation, the loss of property, physical harm, and even death. Father, we pray for those who, and there are many in many of these nations, imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would sustain them, strengthen them, comfort them, help them to endure, Lord, and enable them, Lord, to be a shining light even in the midst of such difficult circumstances. We pray for their families, that you would undergird them and strengthen them, comfort them as they're separated from their loved ones. We pray for the families of those who have suffered martyrdom at the hands of those who hate the name of Jesus, at the, at the hands of those who deny who you are. Lord, we pray for your comfort for them. We pray, Father, for the pastors and the churches, some many who gather clandestinely, Others who gather openly and because of that openness become even more of a target for those who hate them. We pray, Father, for those churches that have suffered loss, their buildings burned down, their people whose lives have been taken, and especially for those pastors who lead those flocks, Lord. God, give them wisdom as they move forward and seek to continue to serve you and be a light in their communities, in their villages. Father, we pray for those organizations such as Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs, and there are others, Lord, who give support, financial support, counseling support, all types of support to those 
in the persecuted church. We thank you for them. We pray, Lord God, that you would supply them with the need, with their, uh, what they need so that they could supply others. And Lord, we especially pray for these nations on this world watch list, particularly those who are, which are the most dangerous in which believers to live. For North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan. We lift India to you also, Lord, this focus of the Voice of the Martyrs ministry uh, this year in this International Day of Prayer for the increasing violence that's being perpetrated against believers there. In all these nations, Father, we know, Lord, that in this world we'll have much tribulation. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have indeed overcome the world. So we join our hearts this morning. We pray, Lord, that those who are suffering in other lands, Lord, would sense and feel the prayers of the saints that are going up in their behalf all over the world today. We thank you for the privilege and the honor and the, to pray for them this morning. And we lift them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We look at the message, which sort of indirectly, if not directly, is tied in with what is happening today, both in the International Day of Prayer and the Lord's Table. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and while we'll be focusing on the final few verses to give context to those verses, I'm going to read from verse 6. Second Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, going through the end of the chapter. For God who said, light sh let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus 
and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes on what, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to look into it this morning, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts this morning through it, in Jesus' name, amen. No pain, no gain. This is an expression that all of us are familiar with. We use it to state the fact that in order to lose the weight, build the muscle, increase strength, or compete, in some kind of competition. In short, to achieve a goal, there must be hard work or training involved to get there. When we use that expression, most of the time we're talking about the physical. It may apply in other arenas of our lives. But the journey toward that goal physically is going to involve some sore, achy muscles or even some temporary setbacks and minor injuries. There will be pain along the way. It will require suffering. Anyone who's attempted to get into some sort of exercise program will attest to that. But because your intent on reaching the goal, on getting the gold, so to speak, you begin to embrace that suffering. It's part of the process. It's a means to the end. There's purpose in the pain. And when you reach the objective, it becomes very evident more than ever that you, you realize the importance of the endurance. The Apostle Paul in this passage from 2 Corinthians is speaking about personal affliction. Personal affliction in the pursuit of God's purpose and his call on Paul's life. A good portion of this second letter to the Corinthian church has Paul defending his ministry to these very critical believers. Quite a bit of it does. And so in this passage in chapter 4, also in chapter 6 and in chapter 11, he speaks much of that affliction, much about that suffering. Much of the suffering that Paul endured was of a physical nature, was of a, of a physical nature. 
And if we could turn momentarily to the 11th chapter, he speaks about that in the 23rd to the 27th verses. He speaks about uh, how compared to some of the other teachers that the Corinthian church was following, that he suffered even more. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. And then he enumerates. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That's quite a list. I don't think there's anything that Paul didn't cover in that list. Physical suffering. But in the last couple of verses of that, uh, or the next couple of verses, he also makes mention of the fact that his suffering was also of a mental anguish, an emotional uh, suffering. Besides everything else, he says, I face the daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? Back to chapter 4, in verses 8 and 9, he speaks of these things in a more general way. He says, we are pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. All these things that happened to Paul served as evidence that, as he says in verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. There was purpose in his suffering. And it was to reveal the life of Christ to those to whom he was sent. Jesus humbled himself, as Paul said in the book of Philippians when he wrote to that church. He says that Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross so that he can reconcile man to God. And Paul says... I don't want to just know him in this same book, in that same book of Philippians, in the power of his resurrection. I don't want just to experience that miraculous power that raised Christ from the dead, that heals and does miracles, but I want to know him also in his suffering. also in the fellowship of his sufferings. In spite of all that happened to Paul, in spite of all that he had to endure, in verse 16 of this fourth chapter in 2 Corinthians, it says, he did not lose heart. 
Outwardly, he says, he's wasting away. All of us are going to ultimately pass from this life. There's no escaping that unless Jesus comes again before we do. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. At how our lives end and what we suffer in this life toward that end, it'll be different for each of us. We in the West can, as we've already said, scarcely identify with what is happening to believers in North Korea or in Somalia or in any of these other nations where persecution is taking place. Those believers, if you've read the accounts, you see that they are, as Paul was, literally carrying around the death of Christ in their body and experiencing even the loss of their life so that the life of Christ may be revealed to those around them, to others, and that others may embrace the gospel. Read some of the accounts of these believers who have suffered greatly, who've been injured severely in, ex- in explosions and bombings, who have been driven from their villages. Their hearts are that these people who perpetrate these things against them would come to know the Jesus that they know. Our reality here in Wilmington today is not that reality. May it never be so, but We don't know what the future holds. That's not our reality, but that doesn't mean that we don't suffer. That doesn't mean that we don't have pain. That doesn't mean that we don't experience having our faith challenged and tested. Paul says outwardly that we're wasting away. That word that's translated as wasting away appears in other places in Scripture. Just a couple examples. One is in Luke chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read one verse. Luke chapter 12, Jesus speaking, teaching, says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exalted, exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. That word translated as destroys is the same word that Paul uses that's translated as wasting away. Sometimes our lives feel like a moth-eaten garment, you know, full of holes from the experiences that we've had. Sometimes we even maybe come to a place where we feel like, you know, a moth-eaten garment isn't good for much anymore, and the enemy can beat us down. Another place where that word appears is in the book of Revelation, and it's chapter 8. In verse 9, get to it in a moment here. This is in the midst of God's judgment being poured out on the earth. The second angel, this is verse 8, 
sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Same word. Crushed by a mountain ablaze, sinking, sinking, going to the bottom of the ocean. Sometimes, in our experiences, we feel that way. Like our ship is sinking. Lord, help. But Paul says, even though these things are happening, even though this fallen world, with its sickness and sorrow and injustice, and all the other evils that go along with it. Even though these things are happening, causing us to waste away, we do not lose heart. How do we do that, Paul? How do we do that when we're facing all this? Why don't we lose heart? Well, Paul says in the 16th verse, following that, even though we're wasting away outwardly, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. How does that renewal happen? Well, the word renewed here appears only one other time in the New Testament, the word that's translated as renewed, and that's in Colossians 3.10. And it says this, And having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Let's go back a verse. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. A similar Greek word is found in Romans 12, chapter 2, where it says, Be renewed in your mind. So a knowledge and understanding of who God is, what his word says and teaches, is essential to being renewed. His word, his inspired word, and the power of the Holy Spirit is what renews us in the inner man so that even though we're we're wasting away In the outer man, we're being made new on the inside. And he says in this fourth chapter that it's something that happens day by day. It's not just a one-time thing. We're not just renewed and then it's all over. We don't have to worry about it again. It's a continual thing every day, renewed every day, day by day. It's not an automatic thing. We have to go to God to receive what he's provided for us in order to have that strength to keep going, even in the midst of suffering and pain. God's mercies, the scriptures say, are new every morning. Every morning. Why is that true? Because we need it every morning. 
We can't live on yesterday's manna. We can't live on the grace that he provides yesterday or last week. We need his grace. We need his mercy. We need his strength. We need the help of the Holy Spirit every single day. And then Paul says an amazing thing here in the 17th verse. He says, even though he has suffered everything that he suffered, which we read about in the 11th chapter, even though that's happened, he considers his afflictions to be light and momentary. These light and momentary afflictions or troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory which far outweighs them all. There's purpose in the pain. We don't always understand it. And only eternity may fully reveal the answers to the whys in our lives. Every one of us here and out there and in every church this morning has suffered loss or will suffer loss. It's inescapable. No one is exempt. Every one of us here has experienced pain or will experience pain, both physical and emotional. None of us are exempt. How do we endure through all this? going to God, receiving that grace, that mercy, understanding that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus and that he's there for us, renewing us on the inside, day by day. We need to avail ourselves of that comfort, that strength, and that peace that he makes available to us. And we need to understand where our focus should be. And he tells us that in the 18th verse. So, so because of all these things, because of the fact that God is for us, because we know that Jesus will raise us from the dead, because we know that there's a purpose in what we're going through, so we fix our eyes on what is unseen and not on what is seen. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. That's where our focus needs to be. Most of you know that our family and the Gertons have endured a very trying, heartbreaking loss in the last couple of months. Seven weeks ago yesterday, our daughter Elizabeth and her husband Caleb 
went to the hospital very early on a Saturday morning. She eight months pregnant because she hadn't felt the baby move for several hours. And Donna and I sat in their house watching their two boys while they slept, waiting. And then that call came. And many of you have received that call, which you never want to get, but you do. There's no heartbeat. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? What you do is focus on what is unseen. This side of heaven will never know why. The questions remain. The questions remain. It's not easy. But we know God has purpose in pain. We focus not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And God is ministering by his spirit to our daughter and her husband and to our family. And as I focus on what is unseen, my mind turned to the eternal as I thought about our dear little Eva Elizabeth going from the womb into the arms of Jesus. And I wrote a song for her, and the second verse said, In sorrow here we kissed your face, but we are sure that by his grace that we will see you in that place where night will never fall, where everything has been made new. There we will sing and dance with you and praise the one who brought us to that day. That's the eternal. We're going to see her again. We don't know why it happened, but we know that there's a God who hasn't left us or forsaken us. He hasn't left Elizabeth and Caleb or forsaken them or Michael and Kim or any in our family. Does it hurt? Yeah, it hurts. But we can go to the God of all comfort and receive from him what we need to endure. Those believers in North Korea, does it hurt when they're persecuted? Yeah, it hurts. But they know to whom they can turn to receive what they need to endure. As we close, I want to share this song via video. It's a song that was recorded quite a few years ago, and I think it may have actually been for the uh, persecuted church or for the International Day of Prayers by Shane and Shane. And it's called, Though He Slay Me. Though you slay me. It's a powerful song. And this video version contains about a minute and a half clip from a sermon by John Piper, one of my favorite preachers, called The Weight of Eternal Glory. 
And I'd give credit to John because much of what I shared this morning came out of this message, and I'd encourage you to look it up and listen to the whole thing because it's a powerful word. I found this video several years ago, but a couple of days or so after Eva was stillborn, Elizabeth sent it to me. Asked me if I'd seen it, found strength in it. What a message. Though you slay me, still I'll praise you. God is working for us an eternal glory through all that we endure that far outweighs whatever we experience here in this earth. He suffered first. We want to know him. May it be our prayer, as it was Paul's, that we may know him, not just in the power of his resurrection, but in the fellowship of his sufferings. The table behind me, and as I, the men who are going to serve, please come forward at this time. The table behind me speaks loud and clear of that, of the supreme sacrifice. Jesus was able to endure the cross, despising the shame because of the joy that was set before him. That's what the scripture says. Because of the joy that was set before him. He knew what the result of that would be. He knew that he was winning the hearts of those who would follow him. He knew that he was being obedient to the Father's plan. He made that supreme sacrifice.